Well, good morning. It's good to see you. So glad that you are here today. Could you uh, turn around and shake someone's hand and say welcome to them and say good morning, if you don't mind. Welcome to July. Yes. Ah, love it. Love it. Yes. We have been for seven weeks uh, in a series actually working our way through the Apostles' Creed. If you're here for the first time, you see this big banner behind me, and you're kind of wondering if you stumbled into the wrong church, you know, kind of thing. And no, you're in the right church. You're good. God brought you here. He is sovereign and providential, so He has brought you here. And so today, part seven, He ascended to heaven and sits to the right hand of the Father Almighty. One of the things as we have worked our way through the Apostles' Creed, first of all, let me give you this little caveat, and that is if it's your first Sunday... Then, then you need to hear this, and that is that we are not here to preach the creed because creeds, we don't do that. And simply because the creeds have no value, I'm sorry, they have no power within themselves, but they are a reflection of greater power, and that is the Apostles' Creed is that of a reflection of the Word of God in our life, a tool to give us an understanding of the Word of God and the character and the very nature of God. So that is why we've been working through that together throughout the summer months. And so one amazing thing I think that we have has become very clear through this is that we serve a triune God, and, and that is that we serve the Trinity, that of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, yet they are all one. C.S. Lewis, we said this a few weeks ago, C.S. Lewis calls this the holy dance, that of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and what happens is this, and I think it's amazing when you begin to think this out, somewhat, is that the Holy Spirit illuminates these truths to us, and that is that it illuminates and helps us to understand God, understand Christ, and to praise Jesus, and then Jesus brings glory to the Father, and we are a beneficiary of this dance of the Trinity this morning. And, but if we're really honest about all this thing about the Trinity and, and, and the triune Godhead, and that is that it's confusing. It is really confusing. It's difficult to wrap our mind around so many times and so as we've worked through this, we've, we've created some questions. And you say, oh, Mark, I don't have any questions. I figured all this out. Well, then you need to be up here with the mic on your face, and I need to be sitting with you are, because I haven't figured out all the questions about it, because of simply with my finite mind that I cannot understand all those things, that some of those things are a mystery and not confusion, good with mystery, but not confusion, that they are a mystery to you and I. And so what we realize is that even in scriptures, the disciples who walk with Jesus those years of his ministry still had some questions about his relationship with the Godhead, and they ask him a powerful question in the book of John chapter 14. Now, Here's what we're going to do. Today we'll read the story of the Ascension from the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. But before we do that, we're going to make a little stop in John chapter 14. So the disciples asked Jesus this question. Um, if you show us the Father, we'll believe. They made the statement. Jesus' response is, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And you think, well, that really clears everything up, doesn't it? I mean, that just makes it clear as mud for you and I to understand all of this. Absolutely, it does. And then, and then Paul later on in one of the epistles comes back and says that Jesus is that, the image of the invisible God. So if you want to really understand God, if you want to know who God is and the heart of God, then you have to look at Jesus. That's what we've discovered. And so in light of that statement, what we've discovered is this. Jesus is a friend to sinners, and we're thankful for all of that. All, all of us are thankful for that, that we find through the New Testament the accusations against him was that he would eat with sinners and he would drink with sinners. He would go to their house for lunch. He would hang out. He would encourage those who have been cut out of the religious establishment at that time in history. 
And, and so those people that were not welcomed among the people of God, then that was the space that Jesus chose to occupy in his time. And in that, we see the heart of God. We see the heart of God through the actions of God the Son, illuminated to you and I through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we teach the doctrine of a triune Godhead here, because we realize that we see the heart of God through the actions of the Son, and those things are illuminated for understanding in my life and your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But in John 14 and verse 12... This is what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, and now this is not going to answer any questions really at first, but it's going to simply provide more questions for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now that is huge. That's a, that's a huge statement. And he, he ups it one. He says, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. It's a stunning promise, and it is a promise. Jesus is not a liar, so it is a promise that we can simply stand upon. And so what Jesus says is that the same things that I have done, you're going to be able to do. Then he ratchets that statement up, and he says, hey, not only that, but you're going to even do more things. And that presents a huge question to you and I. And the answer to what Jesus is talking about is found in a part of his life that we don't really talk a whole lot about in church. We talk about a lot of things about the life of Jesus, but this is one of the things we really don't discuss a lot, so we have not fleshed out the details of all of this. Because when we think about Jesus, we think about the crucifixion, we think about that of the his death, of the burial, and of the resurrection. Ah, understand that these are indelible marks in history. And perhaps the greatest mark in all of all events in history is that of the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that. We don't take anything from that. Yet the piece that what Jesus is referring to here is the ascension. We don't always talk about the ascension. We don't always really go there. Even in Easter, we talk about the resurrection. We kind of end it there. But we don't go through that, con- that understanding of what the ascension is. What we have to understand is this, and I think this is a cardinal doctrine of the ascension, and we have to understand that Jesus in a physical body was ascended. Because you have to realize when he appears to the disciples, and we're going to read in the book of Acts in a moment, for those 40 days, that they're able to touch him. That when he shows up in that room that day without using a door... You know, and, and boy, you're talking about getting your attention, right? That, 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 that is an attention getter. And they touch his hands and they touch his feet. And, and all those, that, that this is a physical body. So it is a physical form that ascends, that he ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And when we look at the creed and that reminds us and centers us back to that part of the, that part of the life of Christ, that is the ascension. Well, we realize that when we stand, as we have been doing each week and recite this, one, that we are simply uh, aligning ourselves with Orthodox Christianity for well over a thousand years. And then secondly, we're saying that, hey, there are things about our culture and narratives about our culture that we don't align with. We don't, we don't believe in those things. So we reject some of the narratives of our culture and we simply embrace the things that God teaches us from his word. We simply bring all the chips in our game. We pull them all to the side of God and we say, this is where we stand and this is what we believe. That's what the creed is about. That's why it was, has been recited for well over a thousand years in settings somewhat like this today. And so each week I give you an ism, you know, I kind of give you an ism of things that say, all right, these are things that we, uh, we reject. 
And so we've talked about materialism. And we said, you know, we reject this concept or this thought that the road to happiness is just more. And so what I need is more of what I already have. And that's going to fulfill this place in my life that we know is really set for God only. And we reject that. We said that we reject intellectualism, not that we reject the intellect. Okay, that's not what we're saying because we are intellectual people. But we reject the thought that if man has the right ideas, then man can fix everything that is broken in this world. And we know that's not true because seemingly the smarter we get, the more convoluted the world that we live in becomes. So it's not true. We reject that when we stand up and we recite the creed together. We reject agnosticism. And agnosticism is simply this, that we're only going to believe in things that we can touch and we feel and we taste. And we know that that simply flies in the face of Scripture when it talks about faith and conviction and covenant with God. And so while we believe that there are things that are true and that are real that we may not be able to touch or feel or even taste, and we simply say that we reject also atheism. And that is the belief that you and I are a product of just something that happened in the cosmos one day out of some kind of happenstance or luck or whatever it is, and that we are standing here today because that we sprung out of nothingness. We reject that, and we believe that there is a God behind everything. Yes. Namely, you and I, as His creation. That He is Creator God, and there is a God behind creation and the order of creation, and He's governing, He's reigning over all things. So what we believe is this, that we can know the unseen and that there is a God. And when we stand, as we are in a moment, and we recite this creed together, we are proclaiming those things. Now, I say this to you, first of all, this is a safe space. If you are not comfortable standing and reciting this with us, that is absolutely fine. And, and we don't, it is not to make any statements regarding you, your character, anything else, but yet this is a safe space, so you are absolutely fine. The second thing is this, that everybody loves the creed until they get down to the bottom where we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church. They say, Mark, what, what is that all about? And, and we chose to leave that in there as the original version of it because... That word Catholic simply means the universal church or the body of Christ, the whole group, the bride of Christ. And so we chose to leave it in there because we believe it is powerful, which would include that of the Protestants and, the, and that of the Catholic church also if they follow Christ as we follow Christ and they follow Christ together that we are the universal church. So we chose to leave that in there. So don't freak out on me, okay, you know? Don't, don't, don't do that. And uh, somebody said, oh, somebody said to me the other week, so the creed, like it's, it's a Catholic thing, right? I said, no, no, that's not true. In fact, if you realize that it actually dates before that of the Catholic Church, and so it's a, it's a Christ thing, it's a Christian thing for us to do. So would you, if you are comfortable, would you stand with me for a moment as we've been doing for the past seven weeks together, and it's on, this, on the banner behind me, on the screens, on the side, in your bullets. We've made it so, so easy for you, have we not? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And by the end of the summer, you won't even need this anymore, right? You'll be closing your eyes and you'll be saying this. That doesn't make you lucky. That's not going to give you the winning lottery number, okay, when you buy a ticket. It's not. But it's going to help you focus on the character and the nature of God. And that is why we're doing this together. Would we read together, please? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell the third day. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. 
from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. That is so powerful as we feel ourselves aligning with all of our brothers and sisters for well over a thousand years. I think it is, is amazingly powerful. Now about the, the ascension of Christ. From the ascension and from this story we're about to read in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11, that we draw confidence that the same works that Christ has done, we will do. And even greater works than that. And you say, Mark, how does that fit into my life? And what are you really talking about? Because if that's the truth, then I, what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to go home or I'm going to go to the lake this afternoon and I'm going to try to walk on water. That's what I really want to do. I've always wanted to do that, you know. And, and so I'm going to give that a shot. And, and can I tell you, I tried it. It didn't work for me, okay? So maybe it'll work for you, but it has not worked for me. And, but can I read this story to you? It starts in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll kind of flesh it out together. It says in the first book, O Theophilus. Now, let me tell you who Theophilus is. Theophilus is a friend of the author of the book of Acts, which is Luke, and he's a physician and a great historian. And so what Luke is doing, he is writing a letter to his friend Theophilus, who is a Roman. And, and what the book of Luke is, as God has ordained it so powerfully, and it fits perfectly within the theme of the book of Acts, is that, that what Luke is doing is he's writing this letter to Theophilus, his friend who is a Roman, to simply share the gospel with him is what it is. And so I think that even adds more impact to it. So in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Now, it's going to take us a little while. You can leave that up on the screen for a while. It's going to take us a while to get through this text because I have some little commentary to give you as we work through it together. The ascension of Christ. Understand, the bedrock of this is that it was a physical, physical resurrected body that ascended to heaven. Jesus, it was in a physical resurrected body when he was ascended to heaven. And he ascends and he assumes, he assumes his rightful throne. And what he does is this. He leaves this space-time continuum that simply had he had existed in. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is this. When Jesus walked on the face of the earth, in order for you to be in the presence of Jesus, you had to go physically where he was. He was fully God, fully man, and so you had to go exactly where he was. If you wanted to be there to hear his teaching, to be in his presence, you had to go to the city where he was teaching or preaching. But at this ascension... This is a great thing, a powerful thing. That is, in this physical body, he sits on the throne. He reigns in a cosmic way. He's no longer locked into this space-time continuum, continuum that he was when he was walking on the earth. And so the beauty of that is that Christians have no Mecca. We have no Mecca. What do you say? What do you mean, Mark? There's no place in this world where the presence of Christ is more intensified than it is at other places. It is not. So we have no Mecca to go to, no trip to take every year for some spiritual holiday. It's not that at all. Why? Because Christ is everywhere. He's no longer bound to the space and time continuum that he once was when he walked this earth as a man. And that's the beauty of the ascension. And so as the, as the ascension takes place, this space and time continuum that blocked him is totally removed. It's removed. So you need to understand that. We continue reading. After he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many people, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him an important question. It says, this is the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And you have to understand what they're asking. I think it's important to stop here for a moment. That you have to understand what they're asking Jesus. And to know that, you have to know a little bit about the Old Testament. And most of us know something about that. If you have a little church background, you remember the felt board lessons. You remember that? I don't know. Mark, you're, 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 you know, you're telling us how old you are. But they had this board in Sunday school class. And then there were these felt figures that were cut out. And they would stick to the felt. And all the felt they always had a background of the desert or something like that. And we were taught about Abraham. And we were taught about other biblical characters and Old Testament characters. And it was very powerful stories. And, and then we sometimes times relate those Old Testament stories to our children, you know? You sit down uh, on, at the bedside with your child at night, and you say, can I tell you the story about Noah? And so, I, you know, because it's going to really help you sleep well. And so the story of Noah is it was wicked in Noah's days. And so what God does, he loves him so much that God comes down, and he kills everybody on the face of the earth. He drowns everyone except Noah, his family, and a few animals. Sleep well with that thought in your mind as a child, right? Yes. Yes, that's, that's fodder for simply nightmares for a child is exactly what that is. And for some of us, that's our, our recollection of the Old Testament. But what we understand about the Old Testament is this, that God takes Abraham, and from Abraham, he creates a people that there was no people before him, Israel. The interesting thing about Abraham is he comes from a country called Cush, and Cush is modern-day Iraq. I've thought about this a lot. That, that the, first, the first Jew was actually an Iraqi. That is interesting, isn't it? Yes, you prob- may not want to say that in some settings, but it is actually, it's, it's the truth. It really is. And so what God does, God gives them the laws and God gives them the prophets and a sacrificial system we talked about through the book of Exodus. And Israel becomes this sign and this picture to the world of what a right, right relationship with God the Creator is and how to get along with your fellow man. That's the whole purpose of Israel. We talk about that from Exodus. It's about repairing this vertical relationship with God and that solving the relationship with, other, with, with your brother is what it was about. And the question the disciples have is this. Is all that over? That's what they're saying. Jesus, is all the strife and all the struggle and all the temptation and all the fighting and all the war and all of those things, is that all over as far as how we deal with that as humans? Is is it over? And we have felt that sometimes. Lord, when will this be over? You know, God, I've had enough. The world is going nuts and crazy. My family is driving me wild. And so, Lord, is this over? And, And so I have to really think about that a lot and how that applies to me. That as Christians, as Christians, let me ask you this. If you're a Christian here this morning, I want to ask you a question, and you're going to answer by raising your hand. You say, Mark, really? Yes. Okay, so just calm down, and it's going to be okay. As a Christian, how many of you as a Christian still have some internal conflict in your life as a Christian? If you do, raise your hand. Let me see. You know, keep your hand up. Don't put it down. Okay? I'm talking about things like doubt, frustration, fear, anxiety, and even lust. Yes, for some of you. Keep your hand up now. Don't put it down. Hang on a second. Here comes the next question, okay? How many of you have have people in your life that you just can't get along with? If that's you, keep your hand up. Everybody else, put your hand down. That's interesting, isn't it? Now you can put your hand down. That's good. Yes. Mark, they're here this morning, so don't talk about it anymore, okay? (laughs) Because this is embarrassing to me, you know? Because you don't understand what happened in the car on the way here. And, and, uh, and so, uh, or, or the volley of text that's been going back and forth between us. And yes, that we do. And so the disciples are wanting to know, 
hey, when does this all stop? In other words, when do we stop being human? Is what they're saying. When are you going to fix all of this? You told us that you were going to make everything right, so when are you going to do that? Is this the moment? They really thought that. Is this the moment? And so here's what happens in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's repeating verse 4 and 5 for emphasis. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Again, you can't divorce, as we said last week, the physicality of Jesus and the spirituality of Jesus, and that is that he leaves in a physical form, he returns in a physical form, and that's a powerful promise for you and I. So what we have is we have Jesus ascending to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father, his rightful throne. He leaves the space-time continuum that had locked him in as a man here on this planet. He ascends to his throne, and then in John 14, he says, Hey, the things that I have done, you're going to do. Yeah, that's it. The things that I have done, you're going to do. And you're not even just going to do them, but you're even going to do more because I go to the Father. And when I get to the Father, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is now the presence of Christ everywhere in the world, in the universe. And so Christ is available throughout the cosmos via the power of the Holy Spirit. It is. And so he's here in this room. He's in our life. He's in our car when we go home. He's at home with us. He's at our dinner table. He's with us all and everywhere that we go. And that presents a huge question in light of him sending the Holy Spirit in our life. It really does. And the thought is this. The ascension of Jesus reveals the gap of where we are. It reveals the gap of where we are. Because I'm a Christian, but I still have strife. And I still have internal strife and struggles and external strife and struggles within my life. And there are still people in my life that I just can't stand. Yes, Mark, you're a pastor. You have to be careful how you say those things up there. No, there are people in my life that I struggle with. I I really do. And don't look at me like you are totally innocent because you do too. Yes, Yes, you do. We struggle with people and, and we struggle with our own strife. And, but he sent the Holy Spirit to us. So why hasn't all these things gone away? Why have they all been made right? Why? And, and I, but in order to address that, I have to talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment. Not exhaustively because later on, at, further toward the end, we're going to talk about that in that line. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So we'll get there you know, later on next month, I think. But yet I have to talk a little bit about the purpose of the Holy Spirit and what He does. And, and it's this, that the Holy Spirit opens our heart to God. That's the work that He does in our life. You became a Christian not because you had a great idea. You didn't become a Christian because you figured it all out intellectually. No, you became a Christian because at some point somebody shared the gospel with you or you were sitting in church at some moment or someone was singing a song and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit opens your heart and it's like a fog that lifts and, all, and you realize, you come to the realization, not understanding everything about God, but you come to the realization that you need a Savior in your life. You didn't come to that idea on your own. You did not. 
No, that is the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He illuminates God for our understanding. And so that he opened your heart and you accepted Christ. Somebody prayed with you. They may have given you words to say to help you express what the Holy Spirit was doing in your heart at that moment because you didn't have the words to do that. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He opens our heart to believe. And then the Bible says that we are sealed, that we are simply sealed by the Holy Spirit inside of us. And immediately we're reconciled to God by the work of the blood of Christ that that covers all of our sin. So this vertical relationship with God is fixed. And our horizontal relationship with our brothers and sisters begin to work itself out. And the Holy Spirit begins to turn us into, well, vessels of renewal. Vessels of renewal. And what do you mean by that? It's a verse that we find in the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I don't know if you right off the bat know what those verses are, but it's something we call the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Mark, I don't want you to talk about patience today because I just don't have the patience for that this morning, okay? So don't talk about patience. I I just don't want to do that because I'm lacking some kindness in my life this morning, and you may be the recipient of that. Can I read the verses? It's Galatians 5 and 22. But the fruit, and it's singular, not plural, for a reason. We'll talk about that because that's important. Of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And because we are people who like to justify our own selves and our own actions, that's why this is singular. Because we would take this and make this a list. This is not a list. Understand that this is not a list that you can choose and pick from when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. No, because we would like to say, you know what, I'm strong in one area, but you know what, I'm weak in the other. So it's like a composite score. So I can score a, like a five in the area of faithfulness, and I can score a two in the area of peace in my life. And so as long as I meet the compositive minimum, then I'm okay. You know what I'm talking about, right? So that's kind of the way we would rationalize it. If it was said that it is the fruits of the Spirit, then I'm going to pick and choose, and hopefully I'll make the score. It's like this. You're driving down the road. I always use driving because driving brings out the worst in us. Does it not? Yes. It does. And we live in Anderson. There's really no place here you have to get too quickly. You know, it's really not. I, I, you know, Atlanta, maybe so. At Anderson, no. We're still a small enough town that you can get across town in a few minutes and it's fine. But boy, on a Friday afternoon, when you hit Clemson Boulevard and, and you live in Anderson, and then you see all of those tags from Georgia that are lined up and down Clemson Boulevard, and you think, man... Why do they come to us? They're slowing everything down. That I can't to get hardy. I can't get the hardies in time. I can't, you know? And I have to have a biscuit fix. So, no. And so what happens is this. You, you're in front of this person. They're driving slow, you know? Now, I drive the speed limit. So if you ever get behind me, you're going to be tested. Understand that, right? Because I, I do. Because after being caught once, I'm going to drive it from now on. Okay, Lord, help me. Where's wood? I can knock on wood. I don't see any. But anyway, here's the deal. So, so he, you know, here you're driving along, and man, my heart is in perfect peace, absolutely. But this guy, if he doesn't speed up in front of me, then he, I'm going to kill him. That's what I'm going to do. I say yes. So you see, you can't have one without the other. You can't. It doesn't work that way. Because when there's peace, there's patience. You can pick any two of them and line them up together. That when there, where there's kindness, there's probably some goodness. But if you're lacking in the, the area of kindness, then you're probably lacking in the area of goodness. 
God knew we would want to keep score. He knows us. He knows very well that that's what we do. I got three out of nine today. I'm doing pretty good. You know, that's, that's okay. And I feel really good about myself because I'm, comparing, I'm comparing myself to someone else who has got a two out of nine. So I'm doing good. No. And, and what I want to say to you is this, that if we grasp this understanding of that of our horizontal relationships, begin to work out because this is how God grows us. Listen, this is how God grows us. It's the internal and the external struggles where this is developed. And that's both awesome and awful at the very same time. It is. Yes. Do you, do you know how I know that I need love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness? Do you know how I know that? Because of the internal and the external struggles of my life. That's how I know. Yes. I know. That's how I know it. And I can't let me talk real for a moment. And you say, Mark, were you talking unreal before? No, let me talk really, really real to you, okay? Yeah. Have you ever, about people, because we can all relate to that. Have you ever noticed that there are some people, there are some people in your life that are really easy for you to show grace to, and then there are the others? Have you, have you ever noticed that? Yes? Yes? There are some people that are really easy for you to show grace to, and then there are the others. And I know we have some angels in the room this morning, and you don't understand any of this, so just be patient. I'll get off of it in just a moment, okay? So just bear with it, the rest of us normal people, okay? That you don't know why they bother you. You have no idea. It's like they river dance on your last nerve. You know, you know that? Yes. That you just don't really understand it. It's the way they carry themselves. It's the way they walk. It's the, it's the way they enter a room. The, it's, the, it's the inflection of the, and, and the volume of their voice sometimes. You just, it just drives you absolutely nuts. And then when you have those feelings, how do you feel? You feel evil. You feel absolutely evil for having those kinds of feelings within your life because they're made in the image of God. It's in those moments. It's in those moments in my life when it's very clear to me that I lack the fruit of the Spirit within my life. And so what do I do? I cling to God. I run to God within my life. I repent. I confess. I know I'm not where I should be. Actually not. And so I remember I'm human. And in that moment when I remember I'm human and I cling to God, I grow in grace. That's crazy, isn't it? Yes. God knows us so well. He made us. He's the one that wired us. Yes, sin came in and it's tainted everything, but he wired us. And so I, I, I thought through this concept a lot that after 40 years, and I think I figured it sort of right that after 40 years of walking with God and it's been inconsistent, it's been messy, so you know, don't get ready to put like a, some kind of metal on me. That's not it at all. After, you would think that things would change. You would think that the struggles would change. That I wouldn't have those things anymore in my life. They're different. They're transformed. Many years ago, you know, my struggles were this. You don't get drunk, don't get high, don't chase girls, and try not to cuss a whole lot. You know, that was it, okay? That was a long time ago, though. Okay, I understand that. That was a long time ago. But now they're different and they've transformed. And when I, and I remember that I'm human. And in that moment, I grow in grace. I grow in grace. The disciples said, Lord, is this the time? You know, is all this going to be over? I'm not going to hate my brother anymore. No, I, you know, I'm I, I'm going to love my crazy family members and, and, and I'm not going to have these feelings in my heart toward people who are unforgiven. I'm not going to have it. And Jesus says, no, it's not your time to know that. It's not your, it's not your place to know the time schedule. It's not your place. 
I've sent the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. These things drive you back to me. They drive you to me. It's a growing process. It's a development process within your life. But sometimes I think we feel stuck in this. And part of the reason is that it's because we've been taught very poorly. That we praise God when things are going really well Excuse me, in our lives. But we don't praise Him a whole lot when things are not going so well within our lives. Because we don't see God working in those moments. And it robs us of a gratitude for God working in the ordinariness of all of our lives. God works in the everyday situations of your life. God works in the moment you're stuck in traffic. God works in the moment when you're trying to build, work out a relationship with someone else. God works in that moment when you've been misused and you simply are struggling to forgive someone. God works in those moments of your life. Don't forget that. He does. Trust Him. Trust Him in those moments. So I had a second thought. The ascension of Jesus is an image of where we will be. It also reveals the gap of where we are, but the image of where we will be. That I can see that that I'm I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I'm not true in this life and in this body. But in the ascension, I see my future. Because you have to realize when he says this statement, that you will do the things that I have done, a powerful part of that statement is this. That as I have ascended and gone to the Father, you're going to do the same thing. I love that. That this is my future. This is my future. It's what 1 Corinthians 15, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those, when he returned, will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. What's perishable, we said last week, puts on imperishable. What is sown in dishonor will simply be raised in honor, the scripture says. That all the limitations at some point for me in this life, as it was in Jesus, because he was limited by space and time continuum, for me and you as a Christian, it will be gone. It will melt away in the light of the coming of Christ. Oh, that that is the future. But what, what that brings in my life is this. It brings a holy discontentment within my life. Yes. And we think of discontentment. That's bad, you know. That's like, well, God's not doing his thing in my life and he's not giving me what I'm entitled to. And so, no, no, no. That's unholy discontentment. A holy discontentment is simply if Jesus is an inexhaustible well then, then I want more of him. I want more of his presence. I want more of his power, more of a, a more seriousness about the sin of my life and more seriousness in my life about the righteousness of God. And I want to love him more. I want to love him more. I'll share a text with you and then I'll bring all this together for a moment of prayer. It's the book of Psalms, Psalm 27, verse four. The words of David, powerful words. One thing I have asked of the Lord, he said, that will I seek after. Some translation says it's all that I seek after. Understand, David is flanked on every side of his life by his enemies. They're encamped around him completely. His family is massively dysfunctional. If you, don't, if you think your family's dysfunctional, go read about David's family. I mean, they're like dysfunctional on steroids. They, they really are. And he said, that will I seek after. And then he says this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He understood that the problems with his enemies, the problems with his family, they're all fixed with God. They're all fixed in the presence of God. And he says to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God does his best work in the mess of our lives. 
So you're thinking, man, God must be doing some really good stuff, you know? Some really good stuff, yeah. God does his best work in the mess of our lives. This, is, this ascension, it puts Jesus rightfully on the throne where, where he belongs to the right hand of the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit. It's sealed within our hearts, mine and yours. It transforms our life. We grow in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the ascension reveals, it reveals that gap that we are not yet who we will be and we're not where we're going to be at some point in, in the future. It gives us this hope. That our existence is more than just, just this life. Yes. That this life is a growing experience for us as we're growing in, in a greater relationship with God. But there's more even after this. Because Jesus said, as I have gone, is basically what he's saying, you will go to. Oh, and I love that promise. So this brings some symmetry for my life. Some balance for my life. Because some of us, we need a holy discontentment within our lives. We really do. Because we need to be more serious about the sin and the things that are destroying us in our life and more hungry for righteousness within our lives. Paul, who's this stunning preacher about grace, he's this stunning preacher about grace, but he uses words to describe his relationship and walk with Christ as words like strive and toil and labor in his pursuit after God. That some of us need this morning a holy discontentment within our lives. And then there's some of us that just needs to rest in the finished work of Christ. That we, that we realize that, yes, that he has this. And he has fixed this. And we rest in that, that we are forgiven. Listen, none of us are perfect in this room. We're all humans. We're none of us perfect. No, absolutely not. And we're not perfect in all, all areas of our life. Listen, I'm not the perfect husband. I want you to understand that. Now, I don't know if you thought that in the past. Ask my wife after service in the lobby. She can tell you. She's very honest. I'm not the perfect husband. I'm not. Because there are times when I'm curt and there are times when I'm short. There are times when I lack patience within my life with, with Reba. There are times when I'm just tired. There are moments when life is just all about me. There really is. There are those moments in my life. But I'm striving. But while I'm striving, I'm simultaneously resting. In the fact that God has this. That his love for me is not predicated on whether I got it right or whether I got it wrong today. No, he loves me regardless of the situation. He loves me however I handle that situation. As we strive and toil and labor, we rest. We rest in the finished work of Christ. So, what are you toiling over this morning? What are you struggling with in your life? Oh, God can't forgive me, and I've done this, and, and I can't get this out of my mind. And so this, this has to simply affect how much God really loves me or how God has accepted me within, within my own, because I just can't, I can't be good enough. And, and you never will, and I never will. And so his love is not predicated on whether I get it right. That's, that's symmetry. What about the clarity of my life? And, and the clarity is this, that the ascension was profoundly a reminder that regardless of the situation, regardless of the junk, and I know you brought junk with you this morning, you did because you're human, is the reality is this, that we've not been abandoned. We have not been abandoned, that there are no secrets in this room to God, that everything is open to Him. We're an open book to God, no matter how hard we try to hide things, we're not. He knows the weight of our heart, the uncertainty, the fear, the anger, and He sends the Holy Spirit. 
and the ascension is so beautiful and he brings clarity and we rest in this because God knows us and he has not abandoned us. He knows everything about you. And he has not abandoned you. Wow. When your friends find out things about you, what do they do? They block your number on their cell phone, right? Yes, that's absolutely. I don't want to. I don't want to hear his junk. I don't. I don't want to be part of their drama, you know. And and so you just go in there and block that thing, and and then they say to you, "Hey, man, I've been trying to call you, but you haven't been answering my calls." And you say, "Dude, I haven't seen your number come up on my phone," you know, kind of deal. And what you're doing, you're really lying because you know you blocked them, right? Yes. That's a word for somebody. Yes. God never blocks our number. Never. Never. He knows us. So in light of that, what about counsel? And we've talked about that each week. What about counsel? And because I'm aware that I'm not yet what I will be, which that is what the attention, the ascension teaches us, Because I'm aware of my my humanity. Then I'm not going to be surprised when I blow it. Mark, are you giving yourself a licensure to to blow it? No, that's that's not what I'm saying at all. But I know I'm human. And I know that because I am not yet what I will be, that I'm not going to be surprised when I'm When I'm not. When I'm not. And so I will fight the paralysis of guilt and I will fight the paralysis of shame in my life when I fall short because I've been paid for on the cross. And when I drop the veneer of my lives, my life, when I'm real and honest in front of others and my brothers and my sisters, that it invites them into that kind of honest and open and loving relationship with the Father also. So today, might we be people who walk in the blessing of the ascension? And might we also become people who walk in the burden of the ascension? And the burden of the ascension is those last words of Jesus. That I send the Holy Spirit so that you might be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other post parts of the earth. That you might be my witnesses. That I feel the pain of the world around me. I cry at the injustice toward others. That I move with compassion for those that are suffering. Because that is the burden of the ascension. It's something we don't talk about a lot. But yet such an amazing and a powerful event for you and I in our lives. Would you bow your heads for a moment with me this morning? Father, for all your goodness we are so thankful for your word that guides and directs our lives, we give you praise. God, I ask this morning 
that the ascension would become an indelible mark on our lives as that of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That we would not stop at the tomb. We would not stop at your appearance to the disciples and many others. Yet we would find ourselves on that mountain with your disciples, listening to your life-giving words. And to realize that we are not who we will be. And thus you have sent the Holy Spirit to us. To work in our hearts and lives. To grow us. To illuminate your words. To give us understanding. So that we will better know you as Father. And also the ascension says to us. That we are not where we will be. That as you have gone, we will go too. That you have not abandoned us. That you have not forgotten us. That you have sent us the Holy Spirit, but yet you have taken that to another level. And you have said that that where I am, you will be also. And so it gives us great hope in this life. And thus nothing in this life can separate us from your great love. Nothing. Nothing. So Lord, for those struggling this morning with guilt and shame in their life, that they would find rest in you. For those that are toiling with their relationship with you today, that they would continue, they would continue that journey, Lord, working this out with you and the Holy Spirit in their lives. But rest in the fact that they are forgiven. That this has never been about earning anything or obtaining points because the work is done, it is finished. Yes. For those that are here this morning that are struggling about future, They're wondering about the future and what the future holds. Lord, in the ascension, you have given us the promise that where you are, we will be there. The future is that we are with you. That is our future as believers. And so we rest in that this morning. And we give you thanks. We give you thanks this morning. In your name we pray.